here worshiping with us this morning. We're really grateful for you, and we pray that you're encouraged in God's Word this morning. Uh, If you're visiting for the first time, you're jumping in right at the beginning of a new sermon series that we're doing here called Being the Church. This is the second sermon in that series. Just by way of review, last week we, we sort of did a tour of the whole Bible. We traced this theme called the people of God as a way of thinking about what it means to be a church. And we saw from Genesis to Revelation that what God is essentially doing is gathering people to himself and making them his people. So that a, a definition of the people of God is God's chosen people, in God's chosen place, on God's chosen program. He has picked the people for himself through the gospel. He is taking us or bringing us to a new kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth. And along the way, he's he's left us things to do, like make disciples, build the church, and so on. Now, that notion of the people of God gets expressed uh, in this day and age in, a, in, in particular bodies called churches, local churches. And so we want to go from that, that big sweeping story of the Bible, of God choosing for himself a people, to a, a part of that story, the particular story of local churches, local congregations, and to think about what it means then to be a, a local church. So today we want to think about um, the use of one of the Bible's main word pictures, metaphors, for the local church, the body. And we want to think about our part or membership in the body. And as we do this, I kind of want to take on, sort of straight on, one, one of the main sort of objections to this idea, this teaching of the Bible that we see in our day. And that is the idea that some people have that um, you can be a member of the sort of big C church, the universal church. Uh, you don't have to be a member of a local visible church. I want to convince you from the Bible that that's wrong. That's actually bad thinking. And the Bible gives us a better way of thinking about it that will actually not only be better for us individually, but better for us collectively as a whole. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to be in two sections of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And I want us to hang our our sort of thinking this morning on, on three points. This is the outline for the sermon if you're taking notes. Number one, I want us to consider the fact of membership. The fact of membership. We're going to see this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then number two, I want us to think about the feelings of membership. The feelings of membership will still be in 1 Corinthians 12. And then number three, the function of membership. The function of membership. So the fact, the feeling, and the function of this thing we call membership. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the New Testament. Uh, Just sort of flip sort of halfway or maybe about three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep going. You'll see Acts, and then you see 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the big number. Beginning at verse 12, that's the small number. And I'm going to read through verse 27 from God's Word. Here we go. For the body does not consist of... Oh, that's verse 14. Excuse me. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. First thing we want to do is consider the fact of membership. Church membership, I want to suggest to you, is an indisputable, inescapable fact. Now, I realize that we live in the day of alternative facts and fake news. I know people are nowadays even suspicious of the possibility of facts. So maybe it's helpful to start with a definition of what a fact is. A fact is something that has actual existence. A fact is an objective reality. That means it does not depend upon a person. A fact is real and independent of us and independent of whether or not we admit to the fact. So you can deny a fact, but that don't change the fact. Facts are stubborn things. Now, the Bible says that membership is a fact, an objective, actual reality. Paul states membership as a fact in at least three paces in this little section we read. First of all, look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, fact, so it is with Christ. Verse 20. As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, fact, and individually members of it. More facts. So members in verses 12 and 27 refer to the same thing as parts in verse 20. They refer to individual Christians. But the concept of member here or membership is further defined by the metaphor body. What each of, three, of these three verses teach us is that a body is a whole made up of many parts. A body is a whole made up of many parts. It's an illustration. We might think, for example, of a singer's body of work. So I don't know who your favorite singer is. I don't know why, but Beyonce comes to mind right now. If we, if we want to talk about Beyonce's body of work, we have to think about not only all the singles she's released and not only all the albums that she has produced as an individual artist, but you got to also go back to Destiny's Child and think about the albums and things that she sang there. See, some of y'all forgot about Destiny's Child. I'm dating myself, right? So, so, so then her body of work includes all the individual parts that she has produced. It, it, makes a, it makes a whole. Now, what the Bible here is talking about is not an artist, but it's talking about Jesus. The same is true of individual Christians. We are then members individually of the body whole of Jesus. We are united as one, but we are not uniform. We are different, but we are one. We are the body, the soma of Christ. Now, this fact, this objective reality that we are members of the body of Christ is only possible and only true because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's what we see there in verse 13. Look with me. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Notice the repetition of, of one in this verse, one spirit, one body. Uh, but notice also that this applies to all Christians. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not baptized 
into the body of Christ and into the one spirit. There's no way to be a Christian without being united to Jesus's body by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul has in mind here is the doctrine of our union with Christ. And there is no one who is a Christian who is not united to Jesus. That's the spiritual fact. When we turn from sin, place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our our Messiah who died to pay the penalty for our sins and was raised again on the third day for our justification, when we place our faith in him, something spiritual happens to us. We are united to him. We become members or parts of his body. So let me give you a definition of membership real quick then. Membership is a spiritual reality manifested in a physical community. Membership is a spiritual reality, our union with Christ, manifested in a physical community, the local church. And notice that this union with Jesus and this membership in his one body, notice how it, it transcends ethnicity and social standing. Jews or Greeks. And when you think Greek there, don't think like uh, two ethnic groups. That, that use of Greek refers to everybody who's not a Jew. So that's all of us. Jews or Greeks. Slaves or free. From the highest to the lowest social standing across every ethnic group. We are all, if we are Christians, participating as members in Jesus's body. They're not separate bodies for separate groups. There's one church that gathers together all God's people into the one Jesus, the one Lord. So let me sort of press these facts a little bit. Number one, membership is not a secular idea adopted by the church. We did not get this idea from Sam's Club. We didn't learn this from Costco. Whatever kinds of community groups that you're a part of or trade associations, we're not borrowing from them and trying to baptize it as, as Christians. The idea of membership comes from the fact that we are joined together with Jesus. So when we say we are members of a church, what we're really saying is we are joined to Jesus. It's a distinctively Christian idea. Second thing, how when we realize that member is in the Bible, right? We actually saw the word in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible and it describes our attachment to our Savior and all the other body parts with him. Then membership should go from a fact to a glad fact. We ought to be thrilled to be in the body of Christ. It ought to delight us and marvel us that we are spiritually united to Jesus and expressing that spiritual union when we gather together and covenant together and worship together as a local body. It means you didn't just show up at church this morning. Jesus came with you. He's here. He's present. We are organized around him. We are organized in him. The life that he lived or that we live, we now live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's no longer we who live, but but Christ who lives in us. And membership is simply an expression of the fact that Christ lives in us and we live in Jesus. And that ought to make the Christian glad. Ain't nothing ordinary about that. Ain't nothing ho-hum about that. No, no Christian in their right mind goes, Neh. We should marvel at this fact. And the third thing is Christians, we, we, should, we can reflect now the fact of membership either poorly or well. The more invisible our membership, that is our connection to Jesus and his body, the poorer we are reflecting this truth. The more visible and tangible is our union with Jesus and his body, the the better, the more effective, the more faithfully we are expressing this spiritual reality. That's why we practice membership here. 
We are trying to make plain and visible and discernible a spiritual reality that separates the Christian from the rest of the world. And we want to make that clear so that people can see the borders between Christ's body and everything else in the world and prayerfully win people into the body. To show the difference between the, the world and the church. And that's why we, make our, we try to make our membership practices and requirements clear. It's because we want to effectively and faithfully reflect this fact that we are members of Jesus' body. Now, you, you may be here and you're thinking about finding a church home and you've popped by to visit, or maybe when you get back home, wherever you live, you've got to think about where you join a church. Uh, I want to encourage you to seriously think about ever join a church that does not practice membership. To be very slow to do that. And here's why. Because in, in sort of making fuzzy the lines around union with Christ and with each other in membership, in blurring the distinction between belonging to the church and the world, I want to suggest to you that at some point, that acceptance of anonymity is going to express itself in a lowering of accountability. Right? So if you're, if you're in a congregation of people who don't think it's important to distinguish the body of Christ from the world, that's going to show up in shepherding and discipleship and people's lives. So we want to actually, with a yellow highlighter, make the distinction and invite people into this new way of life called being a Christian. Now, a final thing then. I think it is therefore a significant mistake to try living as a Christian as if you're not a part of the body. You're trying to live contrary to fact. And beloved, that always goes poorly. I don't care what the fact is. If you try to live contrary to the fact, you don't hurt the fact. The fact breaks your back. And so this attempt to say, I'm a part of the universal church, so I don't have to be a member of a local church. I know there are a million reasons why people might take that view. Some good, some not so good. Some take that view because they've been hurt by churches, for example. Some take that view because they've actually just never thought about membership and they're after a, a broader, vaguer unity. There are a million reasons why someone may say that. But if you find yourself saying that, I'm a part of the universal church, the spiritual church, so therefore I don't need to be a part of a local church, I want to suggest to you, you are simply trying to live contrary to fact. And that won't go well. And just think about this. 1 Corinthians 12, which tells us about this spiritual union with Jesus, is written to an actual, visible, physical, local church. It's written to help them understand their actual, physical, visible, local lives. Paul is not trying to disembody them. He's trying to embody them in a deeper way in Christ. Don't live contrary to this fact. So that's the fact of membership. Number two, the feelings of membership. The fact that we are joined to Jesus ought to lead to certain kinds of feelings. And when we talk about this fact, we're not talking about a cold, lifeless, take-it-or-leave-it kind of fact. Union with Jesus ought to be a, a warm, life-giving, invigorating, zeal-producing reality. But before we can enjoy that fact and have our hearts moved properly by that fact to the right feelings, there are at least two feelings in the text of 1 Corinthians 12 that we've got to identify and we've got to challenge. First, we have to recognize any feelings of insignificance, of insignificance. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, where would the, be the sense of smell? You see what Paul is saying there? There are some people in the church who feel like they have certain gifts that are not all that valuable. I'm not an eye. I'm not a nose. I'm not some upfront part, easily recognized part. Uh, and so because I'm, I'm not a part, that part, then I'm, I'm not really a part of the body. Now, now, when Paul says, just because you believe that, that doesn't make it so, it's another way of saying you're trying to act contrary to fact. You're still a part of the body, but you're, he's identifying these feelings of insignificance that can happen inside the church family. Feelings of insignificance come when we, when we think who we are and, and what we contribute is less important or less useful than who somebody else is and what somebody else contributes. In that way, feelings of insignificance are not humility. It's a proud form of self-pity. It's proud because it, it's looking at the other people and their gifts at, that are supposed to be better and the ones we have, and coveting that position, coveting those gifts. And it's self-pitying because at the same time, it is, it is belittling ourselves and belittling, actually, more fundamentally, the work of God in our lives. And eventually, proud self-pity and its significance, it's destructive to the body, isn't it? I mean, their fundamental conclusion is, I don't belong. Now, the second thing we have to recognize, the second feeling, problematic feeling, is in verse 21. We have to recognize the problem with feelings of independence. This is the opposite problem. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So not only is it possible to experience feelings of insignificance, it's also possible to experience feelings of independence and self-importance. It's possible to become so self-sufficient in our spiritual lives that we conclude we really don't need everybody else. I know that sounds crass. We would never say that, would we? But we do say it, don't we? In things like I don't really need the music. I just come for the sermon. As if your participation in the public praise of God isn't necessary to the edification of the people of God. Amen. And as if your own edification as one of the persons of God isn't somehow helped by and improved by and dependent upon the public participation of the rest of the people of God. Yeah, I mean, we, we hear it all the time. We hear people say, well, you know, I'm good. I got my word. I don't need all that. I need to join nobody church. Church full of drama. Hypocrites. And yes, the church is full of drama and hypocrites. <laughs> and you need it. And thinking that you don't is an indication of a kind of proud self-reliance. In both of these feelings, insignificance and independence, there's too much self involved. Too much me and not enough we. All our emotional energy gets, gets channeled to, to ourselves and, and not to the whole body. So the question becomes, do, do we recognize either self-pity or self-reliance in our spiritual lives? Are we tempted to feelings of insignificance or independence in the body of Christ? Both of those are contrary to the fact that we are a body. We want to replace those two wrong feelings with two correct feelings. What are, what are the ways we should feel in light of the fact that we are a part of the body of Christ? First, we must, every member, every member, ourselves included, we must feel indispensable. Indispensable. 
verses 14, or excuse me, verses 17 and 18, and again in verse 22. Paul writes in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where, where would be the sense of smell? Or jump down, to, or verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's how we want to regard ourselves. And that's how we want to regard every single brother and sister in Christ who is a member of Jesus' body, indispensable. We ought to see ourselves, whatever, whatever our part, whatever our gifting, whatever our, our role, we ought to see ourselves as absolutely necessary to making the body a body. It is our differings roles, our differing gifts, our differing backgrounds that, that contribute to the body and make the body function as it should. So Paul kind of has this imaginary cyclops in mind. Everybody's an eye. Even a cyclops has a body, right? So this is worse than a cyclops. Everybody's a big old eye, right? Everybody's an eye. Where's the sense of hearing? You, you won't be able to hear. You won't be able to smell. You won't be able to taste. You won't be able to hold. If everybody's an eye, well, if everybody's an ear, just big, one big giant ear, that, then, then we lose other functions that are necessary for the body to be a body. Now, get this. Our indis, indispensability, say that eight times real fast, our necessity, our indispensability is by divine design. Did you see that? Verse 18 as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Notice, each one of them as he chose. God gave you the gift you have. God placed you in the body where he placed you in the body. And, and he didn't like to sort of throw up things and see where they fell. You get the sense of the mental picture. He's actually like, no, let me, let me get a good look at George. George George fits right here with his love for food and Disney and Star Trek. He's, he's, he's going he's to be for Thabiti's sanctification, talking about Star Trek. I'm going to put it right here next to Thabiti, right? Every part gets placed just as God chose. So... To reject your gift and to reject your role is to say to God, you don't know what you're doing. But think about that. Should we really hold on to our uh, sense of unimportance or our self-pity or our sense of significance and, and independence? Should we really hold on to that when God's word says you are indispensable and sovereignly arranged? Who's telling the truth? God or us? Let God be true and every man a liar. We need to preach to ourselves the truth that each of us are indispensable members of Jesus' body placed right where God wants us in the body. Now, we won't feel indispensable if we are treated as insignificant. This is important now, all that Paul is dealing with in here. We won't feel indispensable if we are being treated as insignificant. Feeling insignificant and feeling indispensable, right, those are at odds with each other. Which brings us to the second thing we really must feel. Not only that every member is indispensable, but we must cultivate empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and to share the feelings of another person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each member of the body needs the ability to do just that, to understand the other members and to share in what the other members are feeling. Think about your physical body for a moment. 
Is there any part of your physical body that you treat as so insignificant that you think you don't need it? Not even the parts of your body that you don't like do you treat as insignificant. And the reason I know that is because we don't, in our right minds, amputate those things or harm those things. Or is there any part of your physical body that you think of as so insignificant that you would ignore it if it was in pain? If you bite your tongue, doesn't the whole body call a meeting? Be like, stop eating. Don't put nothing else in your mouth. Just grimace, right? <laughs> we go sit like this for a minute till the feeling gone because we hurt, right? <laughs> Or, 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 or kick your toe, your baby toe, on a piece of, y'all know, on a piece of furniture. Whole body be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lift your leg. <laughs> Don't take a little more steps. Where the light switch, you know. <laughs> Why Christy put that right there, you know. <laughs> the whole body attempts to respond to and understand and share the pain, doesn't it? In the body of Christ, we should show empathy. Paul says here in, in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So whether in pain or in praise, we are meant to share together what's going on with each and every member in the body. Now there's something interesting to note here. We show empathy, according to this text, based on particular need and situation. It's a responsibility of the strong to show to the weak. So verse 22, Paul talks about those parts that seem weaker are treated as indispensable. Right? An ankle seems weaker, but it's actually indispensable. Roll your ankle, twist your ankle, right? And you realize how much weight you've been putting on it, how, how necessary it is to cutting and turning, right? So we show double honor to it. Maybe we twisted it, put a little cast on it. We, we buy some high tops. You still sell high tops? You buy some high tops, tie them up tight. You, you, you treat that ankle with double, double honor. You treat it as indispensable. Verse 23. Those we think are less honorable, we are to give greater honor. Think of a body feature, again, that you consider unattractive. Maybe ears or something. We, we give that that unattractive body part, more honor by making specific choices that diminish what we find unattractive and enhance it in other ways. So you don't like your ears, you buy certain shaped earrings to, to complement the shape of the ear, right? You don't like a part of your body, well, you don't, you don't buy clothing that, that hugs that part of your body, right? Or you shouldn't. <laughs> we just full service church we just serving serving people or the unpresentable parts verse 24 they, they are treated with greater modesty here, here now Paul thinks about the private parts of our body they are not for public display they, they are meant to be covered and shown greater honesty than say a, a more public part of your body like, like the face or the hands for example See, empathy requires we feel with others, especially the vulnerable parts of the body, and then take action to compensate for that vulnerability. That's what Paul is calling us to. This is why he says in verses 25 and 26, this marvelous statement again about God's work in the church. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Then he explains in verse 26 what he means by the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's a good vision statement for a local church that understands itself to be, as a fact, joined together with Jesus and with each other. We've had some examples of that this week, haven't we? 
been praying, for example, for uh, our sister Bimmy's sister, Modupe, pregnancy and complications. The saints are praying. Bimmy and, 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 and Baba Tunde are like, we need the prayer support of the family, and this is our family, and so please, Pastor, have the folks pray. Well, that's just a wonderful reflection of their understanding that they are connected to the body, and one of the functions of the body is to feel with them and to share with them what they're going through. I remember back in 2016, 2017, sister in the church, Karen Hadley, no longer here. They moved down to South Carolina. It's after the election, and a lot of stuff was happening with regard to immigrant community, communities and the immigrant, uh, immigration policy. And sister just sent a very poignant letter to the whole church. And, and basically said, I need you to pray for me and to pray um, for, for my community. It's a time of great uncertainty, great pain. I don't need y'all to get in no debate with me, she said. I just am asking you to pray. That's empathy. Sharing her feeling. Feel for her and community. And pray. Not as an act of pity to a quote-unquote immigrant, but an act of sympathy and empathy to someone who's joined to us, who's a part of our body, who like a tongue was bitten, and we should all stop and cringe and pray together. Or take those who serve behind the scenes, like the sound team. We only notice them when the sound's not working right. Right? And y'all be trying to subtract honor. Who in the sound booth today? <laughs> I can't hear Amos. Go tell him, Pastor. <laughs> the text says, show them double honor. So when the sound system blows up as it did a couple weeks ago because of the weather and these folks come and they get here a little bit early or they get here a little bit late and find out their work is just doubled and they, they create a workaround for us so we can hear each other sing and hear the word of God preach, we recognize them and give them praise for their service as the so-called weaker parts, the behind-the-scene parts, the non-prominent parts, and not just, let us be in the habit of not just doing that when we see something go wrong, let us be in the habit of doing that every day. So when you go get your children from children's ministry this morning, thank the children's ministry workers. Encourage them. Say something specific to them that would bless their hearts. They're over there unseen by us, but nevertheless serving us, making it possible for moms and dads to be in here and be undistracted and to have a little adult conversation. That's an essential part of the body functioning. We want to show double honor for those things. So as we wrap up this second point, let me ask you just three questions. Do you have a humble, indispensable feeling toward yourself and every member of the body of Christ? Now, I added the word humble there because I realized that you can feel indispensable in a proud way. That ain't what Paul's talking about. In a humble, indispensable feeling toward yourself and other members of the body of Christ. Number two, do you feel a unifying, protecting empathy toward every member of the body, especially those who seem weaker, less honorable, or unpresentable? Do you feel a unifying, protective empathy toward every member of the body? Number three, if you don't feel these things, do you recognize that not feeling these things, not feeling indispensable and not feeling empathy, is not God's will for you. It's not God's will for the body of Christ. And so, figure out a way to grow in God's will, even in something like empathy for brothers and sisters in Christ. Which brings us to our third point. We've considered the fact of membership and the feel of membership. Now the question becomes, what is a church member to do What's the function of membership? And for that, I want to invite you to turn with me just a few pages to your right to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, the Apostle Paul uh, uses this body analogy again. He's still thinking about our, our unity in Christ. He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so on. Uh, and now he uses that body metaphor in verses 11 to 16 uh, in part to talk with us about the function of membership. We'll come back to this text next week to talk about a different aspect of it. But here, we just want to zoom in on the function. Let me read these six verses for us. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I think Paul places the, the main reason that you and I are parts of Christ's body right there at the end of verse 12. He says it in several ways, but right there at the end of verse 12, for the building up of the body. The word building up might be trans, translated also as edification or edifying. It's a word that comes from the world of construction. An edifice is the a front of a building when it's, when it's raised up. That's our goal, to, to raise up or to build up the body. That's our function, is to, to build up the, the church. So every member is a bodybuilder. It's the only way I'm going to ever be a bodybuilder. But every member here is a, is a bodybuilder building the body of Christ. And verse 13 tells us how high we're to build up the body. Did you see that? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or as the previous clause puts it, to mature manhood, which literally could be translated to full-grown manhood. So here's the point. We build up in order to grow up. We build up each other in order to grow up together in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our function as members. Now, I know some of y'all been saying, I, I, I'm grown since you was 12 or 13. I'm grown. But are you so grown that you can legitimately say you've reached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All children like to see, t see how tall they are compared to their parents. You ever notice that? Start growing up a little bit, they start comparing themselves to their, to their parents, getting as big as mom or dad. You know, they, they first notice that they're up about shoulder high, you know, and not before long, heads up a little bit above the shoulder and that's when they start trying to cheat a little bit, get on their tiptoes and tilt their heads up. And, and then before long, they're looking you in the, in the eye. And don't let them just get a, a centimeter or two taller than you. Then they just think they're king of the world. They ain't right. I'm taller than mama. That's the only way you can be taller than in my family. Taller than mama. Children just instinctively feel pulled, don't they, to, to reach the measure of the stature of their parents. Now, now, for all of us who think we're grown, <laughs> we have to ask ourselves, am I so grown, I'm looking Jesus in the eye? <laughs> the reality is that we never <laughs> so full grown that we pass, it in, we pass Jesus, that we taller, that we got greater stature than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so also we have to ask ourselves, do we understand, notice now, that the entire body has to grow up into Jesus, not just an individual member? Did you see that? Let your eyes run through the text, verses 15 and 16. Notice the we there. Notice the Bible's emphasis on the whole body is joined to Jesus and growing in him. 
Notice there, the specificity, every joint and ligament, every member is involved. And, and notice that every part of the body has to do its part, has to work properly if the entire body is to mature in Christ. We were never intended to reach maturity without each other. Spiritual growth and maturity require every member be connected and supplying to every other part what's needed for growth. Specifically now, verse 15, we have to be connected enough to speak the truth in love to each other. That's how we grow. It's by each part supplying to the other part. It's how we build ourselves up. It's how the body works. I mean, imagine if your heart refused to supply blood to your feet. You'd soon lose your feet and your legs, wouldn't you? Or, or, or imagine if your ankles again refused to rotate your feet and to support your weight. The body would, the body would soon crash down. See, every joint and ligament must play its part in building up the whole, or the whole will not reach full-grown maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make two observations here, then we'll be done. Number one, notice that it's the members of the body, the joints and ligaments, not the head that holds the body together. We're all ultimately connected to the head, but it's not the head that holds the body together. It's the members of the body that do this. And this is is why uh, unity is on the job description of every church member. The pursuit of unity and oneness is a fundamental responsibility of every member of the church. It means every part must work to hold every other part together. Paul Paul actually begins Ephesians 4 with that charge explicitly. Ephesians 4 verse 3, do everything to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's part of our responsibility. Because, beloved, unity does not happen by chance. Unity happens by the intentional efforts of the membership. So the question becomes, how have you been working for the unity of this local church? Or if you're visiting with us, your local church. Second observation. If every part is not working properly, the body does not grow in maturity or love. We have to take it seriously when a part or member of the body is not working as it should. The part may not be completely broken, but it still doesn't function the way it's intended. The biggest case or example of this or illustration of this would be someone not fellowshipping with the body regularly. Someone's absent from the assembly. Someone who is an indispensable part of the body. We should feel their absence. And then we should act on that feeling. We should seek them out. We need them in order to to grow in Christ. And and they won't reach full-grown maturity outside of the body of Christ. So the question becomes, do, do we know of any member of the body that's not functioning properly, and are we pursuing them? So that's from participating in the fellowship to using their spiritual gifts to serve the body to any number of other ways in which we are meant to be joined together and to grow up together in Christ. If someone's come to mind for you, call them, go visit them, speak the truth to them in love. Let them know we need them and that they need us. So let's conclude. I think based on 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, I hope you share this with me, is that membership is an immense privilege. When when you think of membership, think of Jesus. Don't don't think first about ARC and and don't think first about a set of activities or, or what have you. Think first about Jesus and the fact that we are spiritually, literally part of his body. I think we would value membership more highly if we thought of it in that Christological sense. Then remember 
that Jesus doesn't have any extra body parts. He's not have any irrelevant body parts. He doesn't have an appendix that nobody knows what to do with. No, every part God has specifically chosen and placed just like he wanted it so that there would be no division among us and so that we would have the same care for each other and we would build each other up in love. So just as we need every part of our body to function, Jesus needs every part of his body to function for it to be and to become what he, what he would have it to be and to become. So as we're thinking in this series about being the church, I, I want us to have a sense of the wonder of being a part of the people of God and to sort of understand that in the membership of our local church, we are taking a spiritual fact and expressing it in a physical local reality. And this is a great joy. Despite all of the frustrations, the the disappointments, the struggles that we will experience and that we have experienced, it's worth it because it's how we identify with Jesus and how he identifies with us and how we all grow up into him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how we pray for your church. Not just our church, but all the churches that believe your gospel and seek to honor your name. We pray not just for our church, but we pray for the home churches of of visitors who are with us here this morning. We thank you for their fellowship. And we pray, oh Lord, that you you would do in us and through us everything that we've heard in your word this morning that you would grip us with the sense of being a part of your son's body as you chose, and that you would give us the the right feelings and attitudes toward that, a sense of humble indispensability and a sense of every member empathy. And we pray, O Lord, that equipped with that empathy, we also would be moved to function the way you would have us to. O Lord, disabuse us of any vacation mentality toward the church. Disabuse us of any sense that this is all down to our desire, what we feel like. Help us to trust your word rather than our feelings. Help us to shape our feelings by your word and help us to commit ourselves to you in some measure closer to the commitment you have made of yourself to us. Help us to walk together as a family and grow together as a family and reach maturity in Christ together as a family, each part being absolutely necessary. Do this, we pray, for your glory and for the building of your church and for the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.